Welcome to Ag Future, presented by Alltech. Join us as we explore the challenges and opportunities facing the global food supply chain and speak with experts working to support a planet of plenty. I'm Tom Martin, and I'm joined by Dr. Mark Lyons, President and CEO of Alltech. Greetings, Dr. Lyons. Great to be with you. Mark, if you would first share with us a little bit of your background and how those experiences that you've had in your career are informing how you lead a company in a culture that has such a global reach. Absolutely, yeah. No, I had the um, the great uh, privilege to not only, uh, I think, have a very extraordinary dynamic father, but have the opportunity to work with him. And that really started from a very early age. Um, you know, he, he, for some reason, didn't believe very much in uh, in holidays or or vacations, and so he really saw the opportunity often to um, to bring me with him and um, and be able to go and visit places and and travel and experience things um, you know that he was doing. And so I was able to grow up you know very much with a, a global um, view. Obviously, our family coming over to Ireland that was the first stop anyway, going over to see family. And then, um, typically, you know, I'd be able to travel on to, to continental Europe with him and, uh, and experience that. And that kind of formed, I think, a lot of the interests I, I had, um, you know, obviously an interest in science, science, of course, being primary in what we do as a company, uh, but also as a family, you know, that was his first, uh, interest, but he didn't stop there. He moved on quickly to, uh, you know, obviously to the business side. And I, for my part, I think I became very interested in, in, um, comparative uh, politics and and the way that um, different cultures work around the world and was able to explore those in my education along with the science. So, um, so you know, that, that part up to, I think, coming into Alltech um, was very much looking at the world from a, from a, a global perspective and, um, and trying to understand it at that individual level um, where you have that opportunity with travel, especially being able to, to meet people and understand how they, they view the world and the experience that they have. Um, as I came into Alltech, then I, I um, initially started on the, on the production side. Um, the idea was to really get to know the, uh, the business from the inside. Um, and I was able to complete my PhD at the same time, uh, focused in the core, what is, of course, what is the core of Alltech fermentation? And, um, and then I, I transitioned more into the, the management and the sales uh, side, um, having worked in Latin America um, then up in North America, and then over to uh, to China, where I lived for six years uh, before coming back here in 2018. Well, you and your father before you have spoken often about sustainability and the relationship between agriculture and the environment and sustainability. And that word, sustainability, is used an awful lot these days. So how do you define it? Yeah, I think people get very caught up and concerned with uh, with definitions. And I think in, in a lot of regards, when I talk to people, I say, define it for yourself. You know, what is it that, that this means? And I think even in this last 12 months, this phrase has, or this word has really grown. Um, and, and I've been thinking about it, I think, in a much broader sense. Of course, we always think about environmental sustainability. That's a core element of it. Um, but I think right now, especially through so many challenges of COVID, we have to think about the communities that are involved, the individuals, the, the economic aspect of sustainability, and you know we, we've we've had we've kind of fallen in love with to a certain degree technology and technology companies that come in and talk about disruption and isn't this exciting and fast growth, 
Um, but at the same time, we also need to look at the weight behind them and what that what that ends up um, costing society overall. And so, when we speak about um, sustainability, we really say, you know, we need to think about if this new technology coming out is going to overall benefit society. Is it going to uh, sustainably improve our our health? Um, you know, are these things that are are really better for society or not? And I think that's what it's all about. You know, it's I think the sustainability mission is that it's a journey. It's not not a destination, and it's all about how can we do things that um, provide you know for today and make sure that we do have enough for today, but we also know that we have enough for tomorrow. And and to me, that's where it really all has to be. It's not about eliminating. It's about um, it's about creating, and it's about um, you know making sure that we are focused on innovation and new ideas. Is there a distinction between local and global sustainability, or do they intersect? Yeah, I think they intersect, but I think they are um, they're distinct, and I think we have to reflect on this. And of course, maybe I'll being Irish, I'll tell you a story, and I'll tell you a story about <laughs> about uh, the home country, as it were. Ireland is a is an extraordinary um, environment. You know, you, you have this kind of protected island, uh, temperate, and um, you know the temperature never really gets too too uh, too warm for sure, but it also doesn't get too cold. It'd be very rare uh, in Ireland to see snow. And it's a place that, of course, is full of greenery. It's full of different shades of green. And it's a highly productive agricultural um, economy and highly productive agricultural land. But if you looked at Ireland today and if you polled, um, you know, Irish consumers, they would say to be able to achieve our environmental and sustainability goals, we need to reduce the amount of agricultural outputs we have. And you think about that from a global perspective, that's a crazy idea. Um, this is a place that is highly efficient. You have pasture-based systems. You've got other types of systems, lots of, of different ways of thinking about things. They've got a lot of concern. Um, I think just as, as you find in most places in the world, the farmers and agriculturalists are always looking at ways to eliminate waste and improve productivity. And their asset is their land. Um, but yet in Ireland, you know, that would be the big push would be, you know, how do we reduce? And I think, you know, if that's if that's the approach we take, I think we run the risk of um, a, a disimproving global perspective on sustainability, where we may end up producing the, the type of um, dairy products that Ireland is so productive in, or beef, um, in countries that are not as productive. And I think we find a little bit the same here. You know, we, we use a lot of lands and a lot of inputs, especially on the ruminant side, on dairy and beef, um, that really couldn't be used for something else. And yet, you know, sometimes we're we're thinking about um, things very much on on values that we find perhaps on a Google search or, um, you know, in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a set of tables, and we're not thinking about the actual individual producer and what that, what that is doing. And so it's important to keep those two aspects in mind. Local sustainability is also very important, um, but there's a huge amount of data and, and, a, and a huge amount of information we need to pull in to really make sure that we're making the best decisions. It's it's been only in recent years that the world seems to have begun to fully grasp the reality of climate change and and pressures on the world food supply. What are your main concerns about climate and food, where we are today, and where we may be going? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, you know, I think I think what's interesting about it is I studied climate change, I studied environmental science um, in college, and the science at that stage was clear. Um, you, know, I, you know, and again, you would speak with the climate scientists, you speak to the broader scientific community, and there really wasn't any disagreement. 
um, you know, it's really been something that it took the acceptance of society um, and then, of course, the, the acceptance politically to maybe say, this is something we really need to, to bring about um, a change. And, you know, it's, it's crazy to me. And, you know, you think about this country, the Clean Air Act was passed by uh, a Republican president, um, George Bush um, Sr. And, um, you know, that was something that you, you would not anticipate when you think of the world that we're in today. So that kind of gives you a, an idea in such a short amount of time how things got a little bit um, a little bit off. I think now we see a lot more of the outcomes, and I think there's a lot more concerns, whether it's, you know, permafrost um, thawing in, in Siberia or um, and, and the potential, you know, methane uh, emissions that could create and, and how that could be a process that we can't turn around. Um, or, you know, people being concerned about erratic weather, if I speak to... Um, uh, the lady I stayed over with in Germany years and years ago as a, as a kid, you know, it used to snow in the winter and it doesn't snow there anymore. And so I think in Western Europe, there's a real realization because they see it every, every winter, you know, they see a change. And so um, I think that that acceptance has come about um, from a, from a broader perspective. And also I think the change in the role of companies has really brought about this change. And I, I guess if I look forward, I just think, you know, this is a moment where, if we don't, if we don't make uh, the changes that we need to make fast enough, it ends up being an out of control scenario. Having said that, I would be very optimistic. You know, when I look at the the improvements, um, you know, that our industry in agriculture has made over the last 30, 40, 50 years, it's extraordinary how we are producing far more with less. Um, you know, and, and if you start to look at that trajectory and you realize we have become much more su- sustainable over this period of time without necessarily putting you know, a focus on that. The focus probably was on reducing cost, um, but the outcome was an improvement in sustainability. Imagine what we're going to be able to achieve now with so much more technology coming into the sector and a different way of thinking. But my concern, honestly, is not so much on the change within um, the agriculture sector. I think the impact of agriculture on climate change is over overemphasized, and I think it's an industry that can change and adapt quickly. My bigger concern is our reliance on fossil fuels and how we will bring about that change and make sure that that change, particularly standing here in Kentucky, um, doesn't disadvantage those who may be energy producers today. How do we make sure that innovation does rest in locations where um, perhaps that are high energy producers today and create new jobs and create new opportunities? We've had some pretty powerful dynamics in play, especially in this recent year, COVID-19, the increasing drive towards sustainability and a rising sense of imperative behind climate change. I'm just wondering how all those things have perhaps changed your business. Yeah, um, you know, I think over over the last three years, um, you know, we're just coming up, we've just at this time of year thinking about my father who passed away three years ago. And, um, you know, we went through a big cultural change within the company we had been building, you know, and, and growing the company. And of course, that was a big shock losing him. And so I think for our business, you know, the path that the, the story that started three years ago, um, in a certain regard, you know, prepared us to, in, in some some odd way for um, this challenge of the last 12 months. You know, COVID has been, has, has obviously impacted all aspects of, of all businesses, supply chains, it's made everything so difficult. We're a very much a relationship business. We're a business that likes to be in the office. We like to be together. We like to be with our customers. 
and that's what we that's what drives us um you know make a friend was the was the message my father was always sharing with us that we were to go out and and to um, foster relationships and so um that has been a big challenge but i think that the cultural closeness uh, that was created over the last 3 years uh, as we reflected on the loss that we had we had and um and thought a lot about what we talk about a lot the founders mentality the 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 objective and the way that my father thought and how we could continue to replicate that and grow that concept um you know kind of got us ready and so um, we've stayed very close. I could tell you, as, as I'm sure you would hear from many other executives, I think this time um, it almost takes more energy. We travel less, but we're, we're talking to people probably even more. Mm. Um, and, and I think the responsibility of senior management, but particularly the CEO, has changed, I believe. And I think this was the case before of good CEOs, but um, the CEO should not be responsible for just the bottom line or top line or you know those types of results. You have a CFO, you have a COO. The CEO is there to make sure that you maximize the most uh, important asset of any company, which is its people, and making sure that those individuals, I think in this period of time, not only are um, productive, but also healthy, and that's making sure that we can protect them uh, from COVID and, and put those policies in place and make sure that works, but also their mental health when we are separated. And so I think that aspect has been a, has been a big shift. We've adopted all the technology possible um, but I would I would quickly say I think it's a it's a it's a poor second uh, to being in person and you know we look forward to being together again. Um, but you know really I think that both of these these thoughts you know the COVID challenge um, and then the sustainability which is really accelerated I think um, in terms of urgency over the last twelve months is something that um, you know it's probably positioned the company instead of a lot of the things we talk about we've been talking about this working together for Planet of Plenty mission uh, now for over two years. And I think that has really moved from being some idea that Mark has um, to uh, to really something that is driving our business. And in every single conversation we have, people are bringing it up in new ways. And so I think that goes together with that, that realization that sustainability is something that's here um, to stay. I know that part of the growth that you, you mentioned a moment ago uh, includes the acquisition of the environmental services company, ECO2, to provide advice, tools, services to help farms measure and improve their environmental performance. And with the rise of the European Green Deal and the United States' renewed commitment to climate action, over 70% of the global economy has now set or is intending to set targets to reach net zero emissions. So do you sense that ECO2's moment has arrived? Yeah, you know it's it's interesting. I I um one of the before we called it the the one conference. Uh, it was the symposium, and we had the symposium where one of the themes was niche to mainstream. And I I went and found the book the other day, and uh, here it was from the late '90s, and here was my father saying that these ideas that Altec had were becoming mainstream. And of course, you know, we look now forward, and it was probably 20 years later when that was true. I think um, <laughs> ECO2 is is actually that type of a story you know this was something that was niche it was um something aspirational i think it was you know these uh, number of retailers in the uk who said we've got to put um, plans in place so that we can make sure that we know what the the uh, environmental impact of farming is and of our products on the shelf and so that was where the business began it was actually founded by a by a farmer 
which I think makes it highly relevant. It was always built from that perspective and um, and then came into the Altec fold about eight years ago. And it was something that was you know focused there. We saw, okay, maybe there's an opportunity in the future, but very much a British business. Now, over the last 12 months, it has truly gone global. And so as we build out our, what we call now, Planet of Plenty partnerships, so working with customers, helping them with their sustainability journey, uh, ECO2 plays a critical role in that. We can explain what the environmental footprinting is, what greenhouse gas emissions are. We can talk about ways to reduce those then as we bring in the Alltech colleagues and look at the nutrition and different technologies that can be utilized or different farming practices. And so it's a critical aspect because if we don't measure it, it doesn't get done. And so we've got to make sure that we have that ability to measure and um, the science and the, and the, and the data behind um, to track things. And so when you're able to put a dashboard in front of somebody and say, hey, this is what we've done in terms of your environmental uh, footprint, and actually you overlay on top of that the economics, you can quickly see that the two can go together very easily and that um, environmental sustainability or improvements um, around that um, can very much be economic sustainability as well. I, I mentioned the EU Green Deal, which is driven by the aim of the European Union to become the world's first climate neutral bloc by 2050. I'm wondering, what is your view of that initiative? Well, I think it's something that, um, you know, I'm very, very positive about. Um, I think it is a good move. There's a lot of different initiatives there. There's a lot of thinking about um, cities and the way that cities are going to operate, especially COVID, again, is, is challenging us on that. Um, and it really is top of mind. You know, when you think about uh, consumers in the U.S., I think there's some people who who who, who would reflect on those elements. But um, in in um, in Europe, it's very much a situation that people are thinking about the environment in a, in a much more um, serious way. And they also see this as an opportunity of leadership for the European Union, that this is an area, this is a topic that Europe has always been leading on. And to make that type of a goal, this is something they can pull together and achieve. So I think that aspect of is, is very positive. One concern I would have is they have a farm to fork program. And this program, when you look at who is running it, it's very much led by um, some medical doctors, some nutrition, human nutritionists, but it's not really looking at things from a, um, a, a pure or a full chain um, approach. And that's something that, that has been a little bit of a concern for us. Do, does agriculture or even the agri-food industry have a seat at the table? And so um, I also think that there's a lot of very well-minded or um, intended ideas. And I think the question is going to be, how are they going to be implemented at the uh, the member state level and then at that very local level and how do we make sure that we don't have unintended consequences which i think every government when they go out and create these types of programs has to look at and and make sure that we are really achieving the best exactly as you were describing earlier asking earlier this global local question um you know if the eu puts so many constraints on the producers within the market how does that then respond to imports? You know, how are you going to hold imported imported products to the same levels, and how is that all going to be balanced out? So I think the the, the phasing of this process um, is going to be a cr critical element, and so we're we're really pushing our teams to get very engaged and help to um, really achieve that implementation of this type of initiative, and make sure that we take um, you know all those stakeholders into account when we're making the decisions that we need to make. 
You mentioned the importance of being aware of anticipating unintended consequences, and, and here's one, reducing the use of farming inputs, fertilizer, pesticides. It's been going on for many years. Machinery, mapping, measurement systems have all become more efficient. But are there risks that reducing the use of those inputs could potentially lead to a reduction in food output? Certainly, and I think, again, you know, when you think of that, that, that um, global local element, you know, we've got to think about that aspect. We don't want to become, um, you know, so focused on uh, the, the re- reducing the environmental impact that we're not looking at the, the total production. And so we're, we're often pushing people to say, what is the production we have per unit of milk, per unit of, um, you know, bushel of, of corn or, or whatever the, the metric is, because that's really what we need to be looking for. Uh, we are in a situation as a global planet, as a global community, where we do have a malnourishment. We do have um, a huge amount of countries that are going to be left in a position post-COVID that is um, even less food secure than they were before. And so how do we make sure that we, um, you know, that we, that we keep that productivity and realize that that's a big part of what we need, need to be doing as well? Having said that, um, you know, I think that there are different technologies. The soil science area is fascinating, and we think about the microbiome of the soil um, and what we're able to achieve there, maybe changing some of these inputs, fertilizers, pesticides, and moving towards, um, you know, a, a, a more holistic approach um, and regenerative agriculture. I think these are areas that we can keep that productivity, uh, but we can also, also um, you know, and have the efficiency, but also keep the outputs and so those are the types of areas that we're really um, trying to put a focus on and a highlight um, on as we look at, at Planet of Plenty and as we look at our, our one conference coming up. Those are the types of stories we're looking to, to focus on. Uh, I think we often talk about achieving the goal of net zero in aspirational terms as something off in the future. But I'm wondering if we don't now have the affordable technology to achieve net zero. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, from a lot of what I've looked at, you know, those initial steps, I think we can make some big reductions. But when getting to net zero, I think that's that those those last steps are going to be the most costly. You know, we're going to need to look at the things that, um, you know, are, are simple and um, and easier to do. And there are a lot of technologies, particularly when it comes to, to energy that are becoming more and more affordable um, that can help us to make those first steps. Um, but I think that that last piece is really where where um, it will be a little bit more challenged. And so, you know, for me though, I, I, I suppose we're, we're we've always been ones that have said, you know, if, if we think of, of the Chinese context, the, the journey of a thousand miles starts at the first step. Um, you know, it's the type of thing that we have to make those first steps. And we typically, once we create those frameworks and start to say, hey, these are the the um, the KPIs or the or the, um, the the outcomes that we want to achieve, I think that will lead people in the right places. And so, we're really trying to, um, you know, push our our colleagues, encourage our customers to be trying out new things, um, trying out technologies. And that's where a lot of our interest comes in on that ag tech area um, and the aggregation of technology, so that we can start to see what works and what doesn't. We have to try things uh, differently in different places. Um, it's one of the things I, I love about my job is how diverse um, the agricultural sector is. And so um, I think, I think it's, it is going to be something that will take some time to get there. But if we, if we don't um, 
if we don't get started, we'll simply be analyzing this uh, to death and we'll never really um, uh, get there. So I think it's, um, I think there is a lot there and, and so many of the technologies, they do help us to, to lower costs. Um, and that's one of the great things about, I think, especially the American agriculture sector, so much is really created around, um, around the, um, the improvements and the productivity and, you know, nobody is having something subsidized. They're really having to go out and sell their idea and implement it because, um, because it's giving that return on investment. Earlier, when we were talking about the EU and, and the Green Deal initiative, uh, you expressed the hope that agriculture would have a seat at the table in those discussions. And I, I'm wondering about uh, one aspect, carbon capture and carbon sequestration. Are, is, is that a science that is agriculture's role? And should that be a part of that conversation? Yeah, you know, there's a lot in terms of, um, I think, people thinking about carbon farming and these types of things. Um, and I think we have to look at it as maybe an element that could be incorporated uh, in different agricultural systems. Um, we've, we've, um, you know, one of our Planet of Plenty videos is actually an example of silvopasture, which is a mixed-use um, system where you have the land and you've got crops and you've got trees growing and you have, um, in this case, beef cattle, um, you know, in the same environment. And I think that's a great example of really what this whole system is. You know, we are in this biogenic cycle. We, um, you know, especially in the ruminant side, um, there's a lot of focus on methane production and a lot of confusion about it um, and a lot of, I think, misinformation. And when you really look at uh, the fact that the methane is staying with us for a short period of time, 10 years, it is a potent greenhouse gas but it also breaks down quickly. Um, and also everything that the animals are eating, um, you know, the CO2 that ends up going back into the crops, um, you know, is, is what created the plants um, that they consume. And so it is a cycle. And I think it's something that as we become more and more efficient, as we probably have smaller dairy herds and smaller beef herds, which is something that has been a, a longstanding trend already, um, you can actually see how the overall environmental impact is reduced. So, I think that there's some of these technologies that can come in, and I think it will become an element of agriculture. People are going to look at their their farms, as, at their operations, and say, let's add this aspect in, uh, whether that's um, methane digesters and, and trying to create energy out of, out of materials already produced, or indeed, you know, pure carbon capture plays um, that are going to be involved and, um, and looking at some of those ways that you can, you can mix things up. Um, so I think that's a, it's an exciting area. And again, it creates a, another um, income stream, a new income stream uh, for producers. Let's stay with that uh, theme of methane for just a moment. In, in an article on its online news page, the United Nations states that, I'm quoting here, livestock produce significant levels of methane, a greenhouse gas, and these could be reduced drastically if we eat less meat and more plant-based foods. Here again, the signs are promising, such as the rising popularity of plant-based meats now being sold in major international fast food chains. Do you envision a large-scale consumer shift to plant-based meats, and, and how should the beef and dairy industries be positioning around the prospect of an increasing market presence of these meat alternatives? Yeah, I think it's it's interesting. You know, we've noticed... Um, over the number of years, the, the UN does like to come out with these statements, and we're not really sure which part of the UN they come from, because 
um, you know, you do have such a obviously a broad array of individuals, um, but you also have them living in a in a certain demographic and a certain geography in the world and, and sit in a certain place in society. You know, it's it's there's been a massive amount of money made uh, with plant based meats yet already, and a lot of it quite speculative. A lot on the banking side, those that launched the IPOs, etc. Um, and there's a there's a lot of people looking at this area as a, a big money maker for the future. Um, I think if you step back and you look at the science, both in terms of the environmental side, I think there's some questions um, in terms of the claims being made. Claims that I would say in more established industries would be difficult to make. Um, and then on the human health side, the science there is also a little bit dubious. And so we think that this is it's definitely going to be a trend. It's an area that has gotten the attraction of people. It's a it's an area that um, you know people are are interested in. It's catchy, and there's been a ton of marketing money put into it. Um, but actually, when you look at the numbers, um, you know it, the growth actually has been minuscule compared to the overall protein market. And so that has been quite interesting to note, particularly during COVID. When you look at the percentages of increase of plant based, it seems dramatic and and astounding. When you look at the growth that the small percentage growth that went that took place more in the animal proteins, um, that actually dwarfs the growth that took place um, on a real you know volume base of plant based. So we are a world that needs more protein, and as all tech, we don't have um, you know an issue of that being insect protein of that being plant based proteins. Um, but you know to a large degree, we've had a lot of these types of products in the past, far less processed. Um, you know, again, my time in Asia, there's a lot of um, plant-based proteins that are out there in traditional um, ways of, of producing food. And I think coming at this thinking that this is some amazing um, technology and not thinking again about sustainability in a broader way of what takes place in communities that we're producing these these products, of what takes place in the environment if we remove animals. You know, and that, and animals are critical to the soil health of our planet. And so um, if we remove them from the system, you know, we're going to see a lot more deleterious effects. And so a world without cows, a world without animals, um, it's not a world I want to be in. And it isn't a world that we need to we need to have um, to be able to make sure that we achieve what we, we need to. As an environmentalist, I think one of my biggest concerns with this area is we we may have a population, we may have consumers who think they're genuinely doing the right thing by changing their diet. And in reality, um, we're actually not solving the, the climate issue, which is really being driven um, by fossil fuel usage. That's really interesting. Can you expand on that a little bit? Why, why is it wrong to think that way? I think it's because we're not looking at the whole system. We're not looking at the fact that um, you know, agriculture produces, yes, greenhouse gases, but it also, as a primary function, captures carbon. And so our food production system is actually pretty efficient. Um, and is getting more and more efficient. If we all stop eating meat, um, we do not save the planet. If you want to save it that way, uh, we do not stop, stop climate change. And so this is um, one area where I do think diets will change. They'll diet, the diets will change in a lot of different ways. I think we're learning more and more about how our individual diets need to change throughout our lives. Um, there's certain times we probably need more protein and times we need less. Um, and also it depends on our, our individual um, behaviors and lifestyle. So 
I think that the, to me, it just it simply comes down to the fact that if we do not remove ourselves from carbon um, or from fossil fuel usage and we continue to put more new carbon into the environment, that is really what's driving the change. The carbon that is being put into the atmosphere by animals in, in agriculture is carbon that uh, we sequester with the crops that we grow. And so I think looking at that in, in that regard and realizing, can we improve yet further? Absolutely, we will. Um, but, you know, that's that's not the area that I think we should be focused on. And those are the areas that concern me when I see statements like that from the UN, where I think that they're taking their ball, their eye off the ball and um, and perhaps being sometimes misled um, to, to lead us down a path that may not achieve what we need to. It's projected that by 2050, 10 billion people will inhabit this planet. And that means making room for, feeding, sheltering another 2 billion people in less than 30 years. Can world population growth at that pace be sustained even as we're also dealing with climate change? Yeah, I think it absolutely can. I mean, I think a lot of it does have to come back to the fact that we we do need to make changes. Um, You know, this has to be um, based on continued improvements, um, you know, we, we talk about the, so, so I don't think that this is something where this is a, a done deal that we can, we can achieve this. But I do think if we continue to focus on innovations and new technologies, it, it does give us that sense that the next 30 years really are going to be the most critical. Um, and so this is a time where, um, we, we've got to make sure that we, um, we and I think particularly in a time where we're not necessarily our most connected globally, we need to realize that we do need we do need to be thinking as as one world. Um, a lot of this growth is going to be taking place in in Asia. It's going to be taking place in Africa, and it's going to be taking place therefore in places that we need to make sure that we are um, partnering with. A lot of what we try and do when we're operating in in markets around the world is we connect with entrepreneurs, we help them to grow their businesses and and. Um, and, you know, in a large, large degree, bring them the technology and the ideas and sometimes just the inspiration that they need to to move those businesses forward. And those are going to be the, the people who, um, you know, build up that nutritional base, that, that protein that's required, the food that's needed uh, for that growing population, and at the same time, grow those economies. And so I think, um, you know, the fact is, when you speak to people in that position, they clearly see climate change as part of the a part of the, um, the environment that they're in, and they realize that this is something that they have to be thinking about. Um, but I think when we look back over you know, the history of of, um, of of humankind, you know, we've had situations such as this before, where it was clear it was said stated that we couldn't sustain our populations, and we've always achieved that. We have a lot of changes, of course, too, in um, in uh, more developed countries where obviously um, the uh, the population growth is slower. And so when I look at it in terms of, of the, the speed of growth, I think we're in a position now that this can be managed. And I think I, to a large degree, um, I think we're going to need uh, some of those those new people coming in, young people with new ideas, and they're going to be a big part of us help uh, of helping us to, to achieve what needs to be done. At the beginning of the year, we spoke to a few experts about their insights and expectations for agriculture and food in 2021 and, and beyond. Some talked about the impact COVID-19 has had on the food chain. Others talked about new regulations, innovations, emerging technologies. What big themes and big trends currently capture your attention? Yeah, I think, you know, we, we, um, 
we spoke about a number that, you know, really at the onset of COVID, we could already see we're going to be challenged. And one of those was, um, you know, this this whole idea of supply chains and that suddenly when you have a disruption like COVID, um, your supply chain is thrown into, into chaos. And you've got to not just understand and trust your suppliers. You also need to understand and trust your customers and make sure that, that you know, those systems can work and be fluid and, and adapt to shocks. And so that was a big theme that we saw. Um, another big theme, you know, has been health. Everybody is, of course, far more concerned about their health than they were before. And I think that is changing our diets. And that really should be one of the major drivers for our, our of course, dietary decisions. Um, and, you know, I think another element, of course, that we've seen over the last year has been um, very much around inclusion. And I think empathy, you know, companies needing to make sure that they are thinking about um they're, they're um, all stakeholders um, and, and all elements and how they're having a positive impact there. And so those have been, a big, have been big elements. But one that's come forward to us also, which I think is a little bit new, um, actually kind of goes back to your question around the growing population. If you think about how much food is wasted um, in, in our world, you know, that in and of itself could have an extraordinary impact um, on all of these elements, on feeding the planet, on the environmental impacts, and um, you know, really on, on just having a, a better environment that we're living in. Um, if you consider all food waste, that would actually represent 8% of greenhouse gases um, that are produced in the world. It would be the third largest country if it was a country in terms of um, greenhouse gas production. And so this is an area which... Um, you know, again, is almost a pre-competitive area. How do we as an entire food system reduce that? And we know that a lot of it is happening, obviously, through a little bit through food production at that farm level, through transportation, through spoilage, uh, maybe in the um, the retail side or, or waste in restaurants, or it's happening in our own homes. And so what are the types of things that we can work um, together on? And, and again, very much on a local level um, to, to reduce that. Um, and so I think that could have a huge impact on us feeding that that global population, but that's a real trend. I think it's going to. I think it's 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 starting to move, and I think this is going to be a big area of focus, and it's one that we in, within all tech um, are talking about, and we're going to be um, exploring some of that uh, starting in May, and then and then growing out of uh, uh, out over the next uh, few years to think about how we can um, reduce that food waste. You mentioned supply chain disruptions, and that uh, makes me curious. Has your company, has Alltech, experienced problems due to supply chain disruptions? Well, I think it was certainly a heightened um, focus on this area. Uh, again, it goes back to that element. You know, we always talk about making a friend, and we normally are thinking about that being a customer. But it also goes with our suppliers, and we have to make sure that we have good relationships with them. And um, thankfully, we really did. And I think that there have been disruptions. Uh, for our industry, Alltech, I think we were in a very good position. We have, um, you know, over 100 production facilities around the world. That gives us a lot of um, flexibility, gives us um, options. If one facility has an issue, we can supply from another facility. And so I think that optionality helped us. We also immediately at the start of COVID stated that safety was the number one focus. And we wanted to take care of the health of our of our colleagues our customers and our communities, and those were our three C's. And I, I didn't realize at the time, but that really kind of set the tone. And it made sure that everybody understood our operational uh, capabilities and our, our ability to keep our own people safe, our customers safe was, was the critical thing. 
And so we've been able to maintain operations all the way through COVID. Um, we haven't had those disruptions. And we also have been able to have that flexibility of supply, having different suppliers, having deep relationships with those suppliers that has really helped us. Uh, back to looking at trends, I'm wondering, wondering what trends are actually in real time transforming the future of food and feed as you see them happening right now? Yeah, I think with, with um, the trends, I do think that, um, you know, the sustainability one is probably the thing that's changing the fastest. We're seeing it in Europe very quickly, but we also see um, now, you know, a trend here where if you go into a Panera, you can see a, uh, a cool eats menu. You can see what might be better for the planet. You can see the same um, types of ideas being explored in Chipotle. Other companies are are looking at it, at that as well. And so, you know, those types of messages are kind of the new fad. And I think that quickly behind the fad needs to come the data and the and the and the and the story backing it up. And so that's something that I think we all need to be aware of. And I don't think our industry is yet quite. Um, as focused on that as, as maybe we need to. We've, we've been thinking about how, um, you know, how does that shift maybe take place and, and um, how quickly will it, will it, will it occur? Um, the, the other elements, though, you know, it might come back to this health idea. I think there's a lot of focus on how can we produce foods that are better for our health, that are more enriched, that are um, health-enhancing. Uh, um, you know, we've been able to show that through some of our programs, we're not only... Um, reducing the reliance on antibiotics in food production, but that we're actually reversing antibiotic resistance and bacteria in systems in and around uh, those farms. And that isn't an impact just for the production of that food. That may be also an impact for the health of the people who work on those facilities. And so, um, you know, that's an element that I think, you know, health overall and a focus on health that, you know, through through this time of, of so much loss, of so much grief, uh, maybe is is a silver lining or, or a benefit that we're going to be more focused on our health and also maybe start to look at nutrition and our diets as a way to improve our health as opposed to constantly thinking that it's going to be a medical intervention um, that overcomes that challenge. And so I think that might be a big trend that, that when we look back in 10 years, we'll say, wow, that was a moment when, when that, um, that aspect of our society changed. I think the idea of carbon counting is pretty new to a lot of people. I'm just wondering, do you see the day coming when carbon counting will have a place right there on the menu alongside calorie counting? Yeah, you know, as as um, as I mentioned with the the Panera idea, and I think I think Chipotle, I think Chipotle is taking it a little bit further. They're almost saying, "You're having this burrito. What's the what's the impact on the environment uh, that this burrito had?" And I don't know if they've got it totally dialed in yet, but. You know they're seeing that as a as a clever way to differentiate themselves vis-a-vis -vis their competitors, and so, you know, for um, we we've noted that um, one in five millennials uh, would state that they would change their diet to improve the planet's um, health, and so that's a that's a pretty staggering number, and I think that you could see certainly the case that this is the next thing, the next fad that comes along. Um, you know that that I'm not just thinking about how many calories I had today. I'm thinking about actually what was the impact I had on the environment. And I think within the European context, it's even going further. Um, people are already changing what they're doing in terms of how they're, how they're traveling, where they're willing to travel, um, what types of jobs they will take because of the distance they will travel. And so, um, you know, I think the, the diet aspect, dietary aspect of that is just going to be part of it. And that's going to be something that I think we'll probably see 
uh, play out in a number of different ways. And so diets have already been shifting, um, you know, probably away from, from beef more to um, pork or maybe poultry products over a number of years. Aquaculture is growing and maybe that's going to play a bigger role um, as well um, as people start to think about those things. And that's where we have to make sure that, and I think all our customers need to make sure they're getting out and telling the story and accurately able to demonstrate and provide the metrics of what the actual um, environmental impact is of their food. And so when you look at a steak in a restaurant, it's not exactly going to be uh, totally clear what the environmental impact is of that. Every single producer has a different way of producing. And and I think that's where we've got to get to what we're really explaining. Um, as as a producer, this is what I'm doing, and this is what makes me different to maybe somebody else. And, uh, and I think those elements are going to be um, really speeding up in major trends uh, that are going to impact our producers over the next five years. Earlier, you mentioned the the mantra that your father carried with him throughout his life and career, and now you are carrying with you. And it's simple. It's make friends. How does collaboration fall into elevating the agri-food sector, the whole sector? You know, it is an industry, and he, he used to, to like to say this. He had a, a colleague early on who said to him, Pierce, isn't this great? We travel around. We talk to great people. And they pay us for it, and, uh, and it always stuck with me. Where I, I genuinely would say, um, you know, agriculture is one of those sectors that is made up of, of great people. Um, you know, it, it is. I think anytime you're involved with animals, it somehow makes you a better human being. Um, and I think that you know, the very much people who who care about each other, who care about their communities, who are there doing the right things, um, maybe because they work outside, because they work in the soil, because they. They, they work with animals. And so, you know, for us, I think when you have that type of mindset, I think that's the mindset that, that you know, you realize you depend on your neighbor, you depend on that person coming down, um, you know, down the farm drive and, and maybe giving you some insights or ideas or providing you with the technology. And so collaboration is, is somewhat second nature within our industry. And I think within our company, you know, when you start out as a small startup in a way and, and, and you grow and you've got to go and do things a little bit differently, um, you know, while, yeah, and I remember my father saying this to me, Mark, I had to go and do it myself uh, because I didn't have anybody else. Um, but you, you'll have the opportunity to work with lots of people um, because of what has been built, because of what we've achieved and, um, and because of where, where I think the world is. You know, I think that the world is in a position of collaboration has been something that, that we've really all seen as a major growth driver um, for the future. So it, it sits in a very important place. And when we talk about Planet of Plenty, you know, I would say the words in front of that are even more important, working together. And so working together, you know, is, is a clear signal. We are open to work with people. We're open to discuss ideas. Um, and, and I think that's always been that was always his way. Um, he loved um, to have people come and visit, to sit around, talk about ideas. And many times, you know, there was nothing related to business at all. It was simply, how can I help you? How can my people help you? How does this uh, have that impact and that positive impact make that difference, you know, that we want to make uh, in the world? And so that, you know, as I mentioned before, I think three years ago, we really reflected deeply on that. And we said, that is our mission. That's our purpose as a company. And, and so it suddenly became uh, a Pierce Lyons idea that he encouraged his colleagues to take on to suddenly everybody's idea. 
And I think that's the um, that's been really one of the most exciting things over the past few years. And um, you know, I guess that's what they always say: great leaders make more leaders. And I think that's what he achieved. Altec's work in Haiti comes immediately to mind: the the Haitian coffee product. Um, <clears throat> what what new business models might be created? following that planet to plenty mission statement. Yeah, so I think, you know, one of the one of the elements that we've been talking about it goes back to that trend of trust is that you know, there are transactional relationships and those are those are critical to businesses and very important and and you know, that's that's a lot of what our our businesses kind of operate, but partnership is something different. And partnerships I think really are going to be the future. And so um, you know, we are we are now moving into a phase where we've had, um, you know, a few dozen um, companies that we are working with, different markets uh, that have been success stories focused on this planet of plenty um, collaboration. And so I think that's a new business model. You know, that's a way of saying, what are, what are the aspects that you're working on? What's the big goal you have as a company? Okay, how can we help you to achieve that? And equally, in many regards, um, those customers also may be companies that are helping Alltech with our own objectives. And so, um, you know, that mutual, mutually aligned um, goals, um, the idea that this isn't just about, um, you know, one sales order, it's about a much longer term relationship, um, companies that are saying to us, can we can we work with you on multi-year um, projects and deals, and and so that's a that's a new business model that's pretty exciting that I think has come out of this message because a lot of people are saying we love the Planet of Plenty idea we want to be a part of it, um, you know how do we do that and and so we've created that framework. It's interesting because some of the framework and some of the ideas of this actually came from something that might seem not so aligned and something that took place now. Um, you know, 10 and a half years ago, which was the Alltech FEI World Equestrian Games. And within that, we created feed partners. And those feed partners were customers of Alltech. And we helped them with their marketing. We helped them with their IT. We helped them with whatever they needed. And I think we're able to replicate that now, maybe on an even more meaningful way um, in terms of, of some of these big issues that, that we're all going to be dealing with globally um, in, in the Planet of Plenty partnerships. And so that's a that's a concept I'm I'm very excited about, and what's been great is it's as I said before, it's gone from being an idea uh, to really something that our local markets are embracing. I was on a call today with Asia, Latin America, North America. Um, in each of those calls, people were talking about a company that they had a connection with, an idea they had about creating a Planet of Plenty partnership, and so it's really taken root um, within the organization, and and it's moving very quickly. You have a very big event coming up, and in the years before this pandemic forced it to go virtual for 2020, the Alltech One Ideas Conference has gathered in one place. You mentioned the symposium, which is what it was before it was called One, and that was here in Lexington, in Lexington, Kentucky. Agri-food expertise from insights into animal feed and nutrition to developments in CRISPR research from all over the world. In fact, we interviewed many of the people who spoke at those conferences, and I have to tell you, Mark, my head was about to explode at the end of one of those days. The information is incredible. And uh, so the dates of the virtual conference have been set for this year, May 25th through the 27th. This will be the second year that the One Ideas Conference has gone virtual. What are the themes for this year's conference? 
Well, um, you know, we've taken this and focused back on that Planet of Plenty message. And if you look at the logo we have for Planet of Plenty, we have these three leaves. One stands for science, uh, one stands for sustainability, and one stands for storytelling. And so we're going to use those three as, um, as the themes of the conference. And we've been thinking about this in terms of how these elements are, are interconnected, um, you know, and, and there's so much that's taking place, but we have to also be led by that science. And at the same time, um, you know, we can only really communicate um, and communicate effectively if we have that storytelling ability and that ability to connect with people. So those are going to be on a, on a, on a broader uh, scale, some of the themes, but some new things that we're doing, you know, we, we did decide almost this time last year, um, you know, to do, to move the conference to a, to a virtual format, um, you know, we had to make that decision. Our team worked very, very quickly and, and established, um, you know, a very successful program. We took the, the conference from a, an in-person 3,500 uh, person event to, to almost 25,000 people on the platform. Um, and this year what we wanna do is make sure that we're engaging in a deeper way with that audience and also continuing to grow. So we decided to invest in our own platform. Uh, we didn't want to, to work purely with third parties. And so we now have our own trade show area. We've got our own place that really looks like almost the, the, uh, the Central Bank Convention Center. And so it's really exciting to see how we're going to be able to utilize that. The conference will be those three days. And if people come through, they'll be able to see some of um, you know the, the different tracks they normally would see by species, um, perhaps something on, on general business, on human health, um, crop science, all those difficult things that they would see. But they're also going to be able to, to look at different talks and, and see, hey, this one is is focused on health and wellness. This one is focused on sustainability. This one is focused on uh, regenerative agriculture. And I want to follow those throughout. And so now, uh, different to a physical conference, it's very easy to be able to listen to a talk, then pop into another section, plus all the information is on demand so people can come back. And I think that might give us all a little bit of a better chance to uh, to not get a headache um, <laughs> as you did and, and be able to absorb some of the information. So those are going to be exciting ways. The, the other element here is that we're going to open the conference, um, the trade show area, a little bit early. So people will get a chance to go in. Uh, they'll be able to experience that get used to the environment. And I think that'll create the opportunity for more interaction um, this platform gives us the chance to have one-on-one -on -one meetings, but also workshops on certain topics where smaller groups can have a voice. Because I think through so much of, of um, you know, the past year, when you're looking at a screen, hearing somebody give a talk, that's one thing. But that opportunity for interaction is the key. And, um, and that's, of course, what makes our conference unique, I think, and, and, and really exciting is when we're all able to be in the same place and have those conversations. Uh, it makes that impact. That's what we want to make sure that we replicate and, and what our teams are working on now. Well, I must say that it, it's a delightful headache to have. Uh, and, and I'm wondering, uh, do, do you hear from people? Do you get feedback about uh, connections made, ideas hatched, collaborations formed after after uh, a conference has occurred? Absolutely. You know, it's something that, um, you know, there isn't, um, you know, certainly a year goes by that there aren't many of those collaborations created. We have a lot of people who, you know, end up, um, creating uh, business together or um, establishing working relationships um, at the conference. And, and, you know, they can kind of harken back to that and say, oh, I met that person at the one, met that person um, in the president's club or whatever the case may be. So that's a, that's a critical aspect. I think the networking 
element is really important. And what we want to make sure is that we provide that networking um, opportunity in this format. And I'll tell you why that's important. You know, when, when uh, say we have 3,500 people at the physical conference, we probably have threefold that. So maybe roughly 10,000 plus people who have ever been to the conference. Um, but if we're up to 25,000 people, that means there's people for whom this is the conference. You know, there's more, the majority of people have experienced it in a virtual format than ever in a physical format. So, you know, this really means that we can connect with anyone at any time. We can engage with those people, as I mentioned, perhaps entrepreneurs who are running a business who don't have time to travel um, or had never had the ability um, to gain access to this type of information. And also, we now are able to provide them with an opportunity to network with others. And so I think that's a that's a really exciting thing. And it really kind of goes back to the purpose um, of the of the conference. You know, is it is it to explore new ideas? Absolutely. But it's it's about the relationships that we build along the way and how we can continue beyond the conference to have that that positive impact. So you know, it was something we wanted to do for a number of years, add a virtual element, and of course we were forced to. And it's going to be something that will be with us from from here on out. Um, that's the challenge for 2022 is running a physical and a virtual conference as one. Hmm. That's going to be interesting. And is registration already underway? Is it available on uh, on the Alltech website? Yes. So everything's up there um, at um, uh, on the website at one.alltech.com. And so um, the registration's open. We're we're um, we're looking forward to wel- welcoming so many people back in. Uh, we have, of course, continued um, coverage throughout the year, and that has been another element that we've added with our one virtual experience. But we've really shifted back into that that one one um, ideas conference um, message and the look and feel of that, and um, really really excited for this year's program. And um, you know, as I mentioned already, we already have a team, a separate team, working on uh, 2022, when I think it's going to be even bigger. I'm really pushing to uh, to think about things in new ways. And um, and I mentioned that waste aspect before. That's going to be something that is a, a big focus. Um, just one, one um, shocking statistic that I learned on food waste, um, the average American wastes the same amount of money on food as we are receiving in our stimulus checks. So $2,000 of wasted food per American um, in a country which actually has some of the cheapest food in the world. So the volume of that food also very significant. So um, that's an idea I think that that uh, that we need to to focus on, and it'll, it'll be a, an element of this year's program, but a much bigger element of next year's. Well, something to ponder. Thank you for leaving us with that. That's uh, incredible, Dr. Mark Lyons, President and CEO of Alltech. Thank you so much for this almost hour-long conversation. Really appreciate it. Yes, thank you for the opportunity. Really enjoyed it as well. And I'm Tom Martin, and thank you for listening. This has been Ag Future, presented by Alltech. Thank you for joining us. Be sure to subscribe to Ag Future wherever you listen to podcasts.